to throw. Wide open. It's Barkley. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Smith Schuster inside the 30. Stiff arm and he's going to go. 97 yards for the touchdown. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the August 1st episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Follow me on Twitter at RandallRand. Today, I have a very special guest, Josh Larkey from Roto Underworld. Josh is one of the new phenoms in the fantasy football community. He is on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. If you're not following him, I don't know what you're doing. Director of Analytics at Roto Underworld, Player Profiler, The Breakout Finder, Code Breaker. He's offering an R coding class online. The guy has made an impact. He knows his stuff, and he provides you fantastic rationales for his opinion. This is going to be a great episode. Josh, welcome to the mailbag. Mike, thank you. I, I always like these intros. They get me very fired up for for the podcast. So I, I basically at this point just try not to let everyone down, but I'm ready. We've got some takes. We've got a good show sheet. Thanks for having me on. Let's do this. The thing I hate the most is mediocre opinions that hedge. And that's why I love having you on. You are anything but that. I have, if you noticed, the Steve Smith Ravens jersey on because I'm in my serious mode here. One of my favorite players of all time. I had to get in the in the right mindset to talk to you here. So do you, do you acknowledge what I'm doing to make sure that I'm in the right frame of mind to set you up here? You know, I almost threw on my Herbert jersey, but... <laughs> It's a little bit warm in here, so I'm just in the t-shirt. I don't want to sweat in my Herbs jersey right now, but I, I'll, I'll reciprocate another time. Now, now I'm just feeling bad. <laughs> Honestly, you've done a great job. You and I have been working together at Roto Underworld. You've become the director of analytics there. You've shared your story on Twitter, which is fantastic, how you met Matt. But just talk about how you actually got into fantasy football and where you're at now, because you really do so much work at Roto Underworld. You have the great pod, Code Breaker. I mean, just exploding here, Josh. So talk about how you got into it, because I think it's real inspiring and where you're at right now. So I haven't been playing fantasy football for that long. And I think that that's one thing that I believe is kind of a common misconception just with work in general is that for someone to be able to do a good job at something that they have to have the seniority or the quote unquote experience. And I kind of think of experience as it doesn't necessarily need to be in the field. So I actually have a pretty strong baseball analytics background. I've worked for two MLB teams. I have a master's in business analytics. So I'm kind of that hardcore sabermetrics money ball nerd at heart. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was kind of nice about the transition into fantasy football these past few years is that baseball, it's mostly figured out. There's not, there's not really that much exciting research, but what I love about football is that it's still such an unknown sport. There's 11 guys on each side attacking each other on every single play. There's so many moving parts. There's so much going on. It's a small sample size of the the 16 now 17 game season, whereas baseball has 162 games. So there's just so much, so much more going on with range of outcomes, new projects. So that's one thing that I just love about fantasy football and why I've kind of dove into it. And the way that I became full-time is I was actually COVID furloughed from my job with the San Diego Padres. Wow. wow. I was a business analyst with them. I handled uh, attendance projections. Uh, I created customer lifetime value models for all of our season ticket holders and individual ticket purchasers, all that type of stuff. And it turns out when there's COVID and the 2020 season has no fans in the stands, why do they need someone like me to project how many fans are going to show up a game? So basically all my projects were completely useless. And while furloughed, 
I created my R coding course. And then last season, basically started working full-time with Matt, running a lot of our DFS work and just kind of stepping up what I'd been doing because there was about a two and a half year period where I was kind of like a, a weekend warrior and that I'd have my nine to five or sometimes many more hours than that on the baseball side. And then the weekends, I would just dive into fantasy football coding. So it's been kind of a fun transition. And I feel like my my edge in this industry is that I'm not an insider and that I'm kind of an outsider with how I've how I've learned to code, how I've learned to analyze data, what I know about aging curves and all that type of stuff through baseball. So it's been a really fun puzzle trying to figure out how fantasy football fits into all this the past few years. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the background on that. And you're too humble of a guy, Josh, because your work at DFS at Roto Underworld, the DFS lineup genius killed it last year and had a fantastic year. So you are being humble about your work behind the scenes. And I am honored to be doing a DFS show with you starting in September. So really, you just went after something that you enjoyed doing. You took your work and your skills and applied it. And here we are, man. So so life is good. And I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. Tell us, Aaron Rodgers has returned to Green Bay, hit the Stone Cold Steve Austin music as he walks back in with his glasses on and his backpack. What does that mean for the offense? Who are the values? And look, one of my favorite guys, Randall Cobb. I'm with Ryan McDowell on this one. I'm a Randall Cobb truther, definitely over the top, way too much on him. He's back in town. So talk to us here. A-Rod is back in Green Bay. So this is one of those situations where the ADPs won't correct immediately. Mm-hmm. And everyone talks all the time. They'll say, oh, you, you, you'll see the, the pessimism on Twitter. Oh, you, you should have acted yesterday. Mm-hmm. You were drafting Aaron Rodgers. You were taking Adams. Oh, now you won't get him. The truth is these ADPs don't just flip overnight. Right. <laughs> and that you still have a week, two weeks to be able to grab Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, that you can still get these guys in the second round. Mm-hmm. Before all the Aaron Rodgers controversy you could never have a team with Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. You can still make that team. Just take one of them late first round, the other early second round. Yep. In a couple of weeks, those are both going to be first round picks. So I think that you still have two weeks. And I don't want people to freak out because they see someone overreacting and say, oh, you, you can't get them now. Right. There's still time. Robert Tunyon is still being treated as if he's kind of an afterthought. Yep. Totally Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He he's suddenly just not going to play anymore, apparently. I mean, he put up, I think he was a wide receiver four last year and actually had three, if not four, 20 fantasy point games, if I remember correctly. I mean, he won me some money at DFS. Totally agree. You can get this guy at the end of your drafts. Amari Rogers is on sort of this wide open depth chart. You can get him at the end of drafts. I think they're all values. To hit up your The, the Randall Cobb point, I actually just took Randall Cobb in a slow draft this morning on underdog. His ADP is, I think, 210-ish. When are you not him. drafting? You are always drafting, man. I love it. When are you not drafting? You just had one this morning. So I'm always in a few dozen slow drafts. <laughs> and then I try to do one to three live drafts a day. Just kind of if I'm doing something mindless with work, if I'm kind of editing a coding script and it doesn't need that much mental power. I just throw on a fast draft. Mm-hmm. It, it Sometimes it's a higher stakes draft. Most of the time it'll just be a $5, $10 draft, just something to get the reps in. 
But I took Randall Cobb at pick 175 this morning to stack with um, Aaron Rodgers, and I felt great about that just because the depth chart after Devontae Adams, it's who knows. It could be Lazard. It could be MVS. It could be Amari Rodgers. It could be Randall Cobb. All we know is that there's a lot of fantasy points to go around and that if Lazard and MVS can each have multiple 20-point type weeks last year, that kind of shows the potential for players that we think might be more talented or more well-rounded, like a like a Randall Cobb or an Amari Rogers. So I'm pretty excited about this whole offense for the next couple weeks until those ADPs fully correct and people go, all right, this is a top five offense in the NFL, and now they're priced accordingly. People asked me, of course, last year, who do you have most exposure to in best ball? The answer was easily MVS. MVS in FFPC leagues was an auto click for me with the last pick. And he gave you the wide receiver 12 PPR performance in week one. He had a couple other good ones week 10 against Jacksonville wide receiver four overall. Now, like you said, you have to see how things shake out, but Aaron Rodgers is back. He's throwing the ball. There is value there. And I agree with you on Robert Tunyon. I ended up taking him in several leagues, hedging my bets saying, you know what? I understand there's going to be regression. There's going to be touchdown regression. I understand super efficient, all of that. But I mean, at the tight end position, he doesn't, he can have regression and still be a huge value. He is an afterthought somehow. I understand he, there's a, there's a middle ground between one year wonder and massive regression. And I think that's the area Robert Tunyon may reside in. Yeah. He was really efficient last year, not just with the, obviously he was the most efficient tight end in NFL history when it comes to fantasy points per target or whatever. You can look at all those metrics. He blew it out of the water. I think he only had 50-something targets last year, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Yeah, it was like the tight end three and a half PPR or something. But the bigger point is that even just when you look at yardage, catch percentage, he was really efficient across the board. Mm -hmm. And that, yes, the regression monster is coming for him with the touchdowns, but he can see a larger role in that offense to offset a lot of that. And that if you knew that his role in the offense was going to grow because he was efficient last year, which to me makes sense, Mm -hmm. then he should be going before his ADP. So I feel like his his ADP was kind of a partially the Rodgers uncertainty, partially people just pounding away at this touchdown regression narrative. But I I think he's he's still a a pretty decent value where if you look at uh, breakout tight ends and guys that just are going to give you those those big weeks, it's generally tight ends on good offenses. Yep. Because such a large percentage of their catches are touchdown catches compared to other positions. So I think Tunyon's a good pick in that sense. If you see an efficiency regression, there could be a volume increase and they could cancel each other out. One of the guys I am in lockstep with you that we are pouring one out over is Cam Akers. Cam Akers, that injury, I felt it right away. I thought of you. I thought of Matthew Freeman. And I was frustrated myself. He would have had a massive year, but where do we go from here, Josh, with Cam Akers on the Rams? So in Dynasty, you just have to hold him. It sucks. Mm-hmm. You lose this year of him, but uh, I think the, the Marlon Mack experience will be a particularly interesting one for anybody that's curious about what can happen with Akers. So mm-hmm. I think that's really the player to watch this year in terms of Cam Akers is what Marlon Mack does and Obviously, he's not going to have a huge role if Taylor is healthy. But just to see, does he look like an NFL-caliber running back again? And can he get back to that? Because Akers will actually have a longer recovery time than Mack. 
Because remember, Marlon Mack got injured during the NFL season, whereas Akers, it happened mid-July. So there's a slight edge to Akers there. With the Rams, I think Darrell Henderson's kind of a stay away. Mm-hmm. He looks like he kind of looks like one of those starting running backs in name only or in yes. depth chart only. And I'd rather go for somebody like a Miles Gaskin, who I'm expecting yes. to be able, you'll be able to get later. Yes. Just because with Miles Gaskin, he was so prolific in college. Year after year, he had four straight seasons as a total bell cow, mm-hmm. even though he was undersized. And then last year, he had a really strong target share. Mm-hmm. And then we have yet to see Darrell Henderson have any type of workhorse role, even in a single game. He's never even hit a 60% snap share. Ever. Even when Akers was out last year. So I feel like Henderson, he's kind of a stay away where it's, yeah, he's the starter, but they're probably going to bring someone in. And then the other guys, I think you just have to hold off right now. I wouldn't be ta- I know a lot of people are taking their shot on Xavier Jones or Jake Funk. I think that's kind of a negative EV move. We don't really know who it could be. Sure, you could place a bet and one maybe ends up being the backup, but I think it's likely that what you're doing is you're drafting a third string running back at a second string running back cost right now based on where their ADPs are starting to go in these leagues. So I really think that all of those running backs are a stay away. And I think it just makes Cup and Woods a little more attractive. I think it makes Cup and Woods attractive. I think Stafford could actually be even better than I thought it was going to be. I put out on Twitter, we realize that now is time to slam the under on the Daryl Henderson 940 rushing yard prop. And the vitriol I got was crazy. Why? Why would that happen? Because they're not going to use him in that way. Of course, a lot of this is projection and gut to a certain extent, which is why I like equating fancy football to poker. You know, we study the metrics. There has to be math behind what we do. And part of it is gut. I just don't think Sean McVay is saying we're rolling with Daryl Henderson the entire year. I don't think so. I think they're going to bring someone in. The prop went sky high. Fade the public, however you want to put it. I agree with you on that. And Miles Sanders, huge value. Their running back depth chart. Are people afraid of Carryon Johnson? Are we really that afraid of him? Seriously? Boston Scott. Now people are saying, well, Sirianni doesn't like Sanders. Well, based on what? He's a fantastic prospect. He had the bad luck where he had the injury. They had a terrible year last year in the Eagles offense. And his value is incredibly low now, no? Yeah, I think if you're going to start off either an RB heavy build, or if you want to start with a couple of receivers and then grab what looks like a total bell cow in the fourth round. Miles Sanders is that guy. And I I really liked Kenny Gainwell. I thought he was a superb prospect. He had just this unique range of outcomes where who even knows what you're going to get, but all we know is that he flashed that one season at Memphis and had like 1,500 rush yards and a ton of receptions and was just ridiculous. And then he went round five in the NFL draft. And no matter how much you love Kenny Gainwell, you have to say, okay, let's just think probabilistically at who's after Sanders on the depth chart. It's undrafted Boston Scott, Mm -hmm. fifth round undersized rookie in Kenny Gainwell, and then carry on Johnson, who was essentially relegated to no role at all, other than just pass blocking via Adrian Peterson last year. Yep. So I think... Miles Sanders is in a great position to smash. He actually, per game, had a top 10 opportunity share last year in top 10 snap percentage. Like, all these things, he looked like a workhorse. He was getting an 80% snap share game after game when healthy last year. 
And the running back is just so dependent on the quarterback play in many ways. And Carson Wentz was terrible last year. So it makes sense that Miles Sanders just didn't deliver in fantasy. And no, I don't expect the Eagles to suddenly become this incredible offense, but we did see Jalen Hurts create huge holes for Miles Sanders in the few games they overlapped, as expected from a mobile quarterback. And he even gave Miles Sanders a decent amount of targets. Again, small sample size. Who really knows exactly what's going to happen with his target share, but it shows that it can be done. Whereas with Lamar, we've never actually had a game where we go, oh, wow, look at how he's peppering his running backs. Yep. So I, I really like Miles Sanders as he doesn't really, I think he was a total reach to grab him in the first round last year of fantasy drafts. But do I think he looks this year a lot different than last year? No, not really. So like, sure, I might've been out at late round one cost last year. But I mean, if you if you tell me I get basically the same guy and that he confirmed in year two that he's a, a total workhorse with his opportunities and snap share, yeah, I'll take him in the fourth round. The guy averaged 14 carries and four targets a game last year. He doesn't look different. What looks different is where he's being drafted. He goes mm-hmm. from a guy in the first round that we want to be this three-down bell cow workhorse but maybe isn't or isn't in the right system to now he has that upside in his range of outcomes and where he's being drafted is now a value. Yeah, I talked about this on a, a Codebreaker podcast a couple months back where I said – that it's not like I don't think the running back dead zone exists. I've seen the data. I understand it. But there's a few running backs this year that just don't look like a dead zone running back. Yes, yes. And I think what it is that I've come around to is that the dead zone running back research has really surged this offseason. We play a small sample size game. There's only so many years of heavy fantasy football content creation to look back on historically. So each year just has total swings and approaches. If we think about like the zero RB movement, the robust RB, there's all these different movements that take hold and then just completely take over the summer. And I feel like the dead zone with running backs really did that. And it's made a guy like Miles Sanders, who last year could have been, I mean, he was a round one pick. He looked in my mind like a round two pick. Suddenly he's a round four pick. And that, why is that? He doesn't. Look at who was going in that range last year. It was guys like uh, David Johnson, Mark Ingram. Yep. These old sort of dusty running backs where there who, were so who many. Were otherwise known as the Houston Texans backfield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it's just consolidated in Houston. But Miles Sanders looks nothing like that. He's younger. He's more explosive. He's a good pass catcher. You need to draft Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, the undertaker of the running back dead zone is exactly what he is. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate the those fantasy leagues in 2021. Last news story that broke here, Michael Thomas going to be out. Something happened with the surgery or they thought it was going to get rehab well and it wasn't. 
this reaffirmed my priors, Josh, so I'm happy because I've been pounding the table about how I thought Taysom Hill was going to be the starting quarterback. I did not see why last year Sean Payton turns to Taysom Hill it with a Super Bowl caliber team for four games. You want to throw the Denver game out? I understand that. Goes two and one, three and one, however you want to look at it. Jameis Winston hasn't been a starting quarterback for two years, is a volume-based turnover machine, and now he doesn't even have an elite weapon. He has Traquan Smith, he has Marcus Callaway, he has Adam Troutman, Alvin Kamara. I get it. To me, they have to structure it around Taysom Hill. What do you think about the fallout with Michael Thomas in New Orleans? So we actually disagreed pre-injury. I really thought Jameis was going to be the starter. Okay. And I'm going to take the L on that one. Because now I've completely flipped to Taysom. Well, and because my, of the injury. That's that, that, you know, that's it's like injury victory lapping, which I know you talked yeah. about. We're not going to do that. I got lucky. No, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll take the L on that. Uh, if, if Michael Thomas gets injured and I immediately flip, potentially my reasons behind preferring Jameis were just a little flimsy. So yeah. ultimately what, what I think now is that Jameis Winston, like you said, volume and turnovers really make his game. And look what he did when he had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yep. And now who's he throwing to? Traquan Smith, Marquez Calloway. Mm-hmm. I mean, Deontay Harris, who's – I think he looks like me. I think he's 5'6", five, 5'7", five, <laughs> yes, 150. Nice. He looks like – any. T- my, my general rule is – it's. I don't know how analytical this is, but if if a guy would, would walk past me on the street and I wouldn't double take it how freaking jacked the dude is <laughs> – I probably don't want him on my fantasy team. And he probably shouldn't be starting for an NFL team. So like a a Tariq Cohen is 5'7", but he's like 195. This dude just looks like – guys don't get built like that. Eckler's 5'8", 199. But then when you see like a Deontay Harris at 5'7", 160 or 155 and think, you know, theoretically he could have a 50% snap share in this offense. You can tell that this is no longer an offense that can – be centered around the pass in any way. Taysom was surprisingly efficient, not just on the ground, but his yards per attempt was well above average. So I think this really makes a stronger case for Taysom Hill. It it made me bump Kamara from a guy that I was fading a little bit. Same. Where I was worried about the target share and a few other things regarding him with Jameis. I think he is the clear RB3 now where you go CMC, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, I just don't see how he has any type of role reduction now. When, If you look at the talent on that team, who's the second most talented offensive skill player after Kamara? Is it Traquan, Callaway, Troutman? I really don't know. But all I know is that the gap between Kamara and the next guy is just so ridiculously large that they they will have to, to stay competitive this year, they will have to max out whatever workload Kamara can handle. So... I think he's the big winner from this. And I think Michael Thomas is a total fade. I have no idea where his ADP is going to end up. I dropped him in our draft kit and our rankings. He's in the 140s or 150s in seasonal leagues. And my reasoning for that is I don't think he's going to come back until week four, six, eight, ten, whatever it is. He's probably still not going to be at full strength. And I've read a lot of research. I know Edwin Porras, who's the the big injury guy at fantasypoints.com. He made he's made a couple of really good threads about how these high ankle sprains that need surgery, it's just a death knell. And that these guys, if you look at the data, they don't come back well. So I trust him on that. And also I just don't like drafting players that are super injured. Yep. We saw it last year. I mean, even when Michael Thomas tried to play, 
he, he wasn't necessarily lighting it up in fantasy. So he looks like the kind of guy that's just going to sink your team early because he's going to go so early in a fantasy draft that you're taking him when you would take another starter. Yep. So if you, if I don't know where he's going to fall, but if he ends up falling to, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're supposed to be drafting starting players then. Yes. And that, yes, I understand the stretch run, imagine the upside, but still, it's not like this is a great offense to begin with. I think he's going to be probably slowed down by this in some way. So I really think that he's a total fade now and then kind of a, a boost to everybody else in New Orleans. Can't draft injured players. And Josh, what are we going to do in seasonal leagues? You can put Michael Thomas on your bench for six, seven weeks, hoping when he comes back that he's actually back to his level because it's not worth the investment unless he goes back to the top overall, you know, top 12 wide receiver, which I just don't think he's going to be. I, I agree. I'm not messing around with it. There's too much value there. You want to wait and try to get a waiver claim in on him. Okay, fantastic. But I'm not holding a roster, roster spot potentially half the season on Michael Thomas. Not doing it. Do you enjoy my friend margaritas? And if so, salt or no salt? You know, it was funny that you had this question. We've never talked about this. This is my favorite drink. Oh, if I'm nice. gonna do, if I'm gonna do an alcoholic beverage that's not a beer, I love a spicy margarita. Yes. I put a little salt and tahini on the rim. Tahini, of course. Of Connor, so Allen kicked us off this year with tahini. Yes, of course. A little salt, a little spice. So, I, I have to have something on the rim, though. Correct answer. I'm in with you. There we your Josh, your pod that you put out and your article on Road on the World about stacking was fantastic. I thought you articulated the mathematical argument with also giving a humanistic argument on why you should do it. It comes down to variables and it comes down to you're really betting against yourself, right? If you like a quarterback or a wide receiver and then you don't stack or purposely avoid it out of fear, you, why are you doing this? I mean, have have belief in your convictions. Talk about it. You are on the money, and I think it's a great concept. Thanks. So the the example that I give in the podcast and the article, which is on Player Profiler right now, is the the Keenan Allen Justin Herbert pair. Where if you take, let's just say that you grab Keenan Allen in the third round of your fantasy draft, and then you say, I don't want to grab Justin Herbert because, I mean, what what if Herbert doesn't have a good season? Which is a valid concern. Mm-hmm. Herbert might have a bad season. But now tell me this, if you think Herbert's going to have a bad season, why the heck are you taking Keenan Allen as the ninth or 10th wide receiver off the board if you think his quarterback's going to be bad? You're betting against yourself in that way. And the idea with stacking theoretically is that you have to get fewer things correct. On the micro player level, none of us are very good at it. There's guys all the time where you're like, oh, I... I thought he was going to be the wide receiver two in this offense. He was wide receiver three. I don't know how we got that wrong. What we're better at though, is identifying offenses we think are going to be good. So when you're stacking, what you can just do is say, I'm just going to place a bet on this offense and I'm going to take two, three, four players from this offense. And that if the offense is good, these players are going to be good. And it's a lot easier that way than picking and choosing and saying, give me Keenan Allen but then my quarterback's Russell Wilson. And next thing you know, it's like, okay, so we need the Chargers to be good. We need the Seahawks to be good. And suddenly there's so many more variables entering. So that's kind of the basics behind why you should stack. So I'd recommend listening to the podcast if you want to better understand the math and have some real tournament best ball data behind that to see, okay, these stacks are actually super high upside and they're fairly stable and that your win rates are are really good. And that it's not like, 
oh, you never win, but when you win, you win big. No, no, no. You win big and you just win in general with the stack. So I think that hedging concept is is kind of just based on like this outdated idea that maybe it's the finance bros infiltrating our industry Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, you have to, it's like a stock portfolio where you have to diversify. But with stacking, no, no, no. Place your bets on the offense and that's a lot easier for you as a drafter to identify this is the good offense. Let's attack it. I've mentioned this before last year, flex leagues with Jake Seeley undefeated season. Why Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs for me. And if I didn't run in Josh to Alvin Kamara, I almost beat him anyway, even though he had Kamara with the six (laughs) touchdowns because Diggs and Allen went berserk on the Monday night game against the Patriots. That's why it pays off. Have a belief and stick to it. Quick anecdote on that. I had to pull this for a writer of ours on the site. They wanted to know underdog best ball teams last year that took Diggs and Allen together for their big flagship best ball mania tournament in the the early round. It was like the first 13 weeks of the season. You had to finish top two in your 12 person draft to advance. So two out of 12 is a one in six chance. Yes. Which is 16.7% is the baseline for advancing. If you had Allen and Diggs, you advanced at 43%. Wow. So it was, it was nearly three times the baseline rate of an average team of advancing. It was basically you, you nearly had a one in two chance of being top two in your league, no matter what the rest of your team looked like. If you had Allen Diggs, that's just what is, what a good stack can do. You got a breakout player for me, sir. Who's somebody that you're sitting there saying, you know what? I think this could be the season where they really arrive. Somebody, you know, maybe people are sort of split on. They're unsure. So I've talked a lot on other podcasts about Brian Edwards. I'm going to spare this audience about the spiel for Brian Edwards. You should just be drafting him. Yes. He looks like the starting wide receiver. His ADP in many formats is still after John Brown. Even though the coaching staff has said John Brown's a complimentary player. I just saw it. I saw it yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Yes. So, yeah. you need to draft Brian Edwards. I'll give I'll give one more. It's Ty Johnson. Mm-hmm. Ty Johnson is a player you can get the final round of your draft. And there is nobody else within several rounds of him in your fantasy draft that realistically could be the starter in week one for their team at running back. I know everyone's so obsessed with Michael Carter. I think it's just this, it's New York. There's a lot of press. People love Michael Carter. He's a rookie. It's so fun. Ultimately, he's undersized. He's not very fast. Uh, He was kind of a timeshare running back in college. I don't know why we think he's going to get to the NFL where players are bigger, faster, stronger, and that he's suddenly going to have this ridiculous workload. Tevin Coleman has him good in two years, which is a lifetime for a running back. And Ty Johnson actually flashed and looked pretty good last year. He had two games with six targets. He had over 100 rushing yards in the one game that they gave him a lot of carries. He checks a lot of the size, speed boxes, adequate receiver. And I think he has a some legitimate type of chance at being their week one starting running back. And if not week one, then maybe the second week or the third week. He's getting starter reps right now. I have no idea how this depth chart's going to shake out with Coleman, Carter, and Johnson. But all I know is that Johnson's by far the cheapest It has feature back size and speed and actually looked good for the team last year. So he's the, he's the one guy that actually was on the jets last year out of those three. So I don't quite understand the, the ridiculous ADP gap. So draft Ty Johnson, 
Who knows what's going to happen, but he actually has a legitimate chance at seven, eight, nine hundred rushing yards this year before you know it. Ambiguous backfield, my friend. That's exactly what that is, and it's a low-value investment to get it. Let's talk overrated. Tell me the player at each position here that you think right now is overrated by the general fantasy community. Start at the signal caller position. Who do we have here you think, you know what, he's overrated? So I don't hate any of the super elite quarterbacks, so I can't give a fun answer where I'm like, oh, Mahomes is overrated. (laughs) But the one guy that this is definitely in best ball, but even in redraft, some people are grabbing this guy. Even in one QB leagues, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Baker Mayfield to me, I don't quite get it. He's in a low volume passing offense that has two stud running backs and they clearly want to run the ball. His wide receiving core is... Guys that are all post-AJ Pecks, it's Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. These guys are no longer the elite wide receivers they used to be. Beckham's even coming off a major injury. Landry had the hip surgery last year that clearly hampered him. I just don't see it. I don't think he quite has the weapons in the passing game that's needed. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good, efficient offense overall, but I don't think the volume's there. Baker's not a super mobile quarterback. I just don't really see any upside path with him which makes him just, in my mind, a total stay away in any type of one quarterback format. Grab Daniel Jones. There's a lot of guys going after that have more quote-unquote upside than a Baker Mayfield. I'm going to tell you why it's happening. Instead of a post-hype sleeper, we need to have post-no-hype fades. No one liked Baker Mayfield last year, and then all of a sudden he had the back-to-back overall QB4 performance in Week 13 fantasy playoffs. QB3 performance in in week 14, fantasy playoffs. And now, because he had no hype last year and everyone was off him, and he actually had a couple performances, handful of performances, by the way, that were decent, now we're going the other way. I think it's a great, great call. What about running back? J.K. Dobbins. Unfortunately, I just cannot invest super heavy draft capital into a guy that looks like he's going to have a one-dimensional role. When we talk about the running back dead zone in these round three running backs like a J.K. Dobbins, one of the big kind of blaring warning signs is if you're grabbing a guy that doesn't have an all-purpose role. I think J.K. Dobbins is one of the three, four best running backs in the NFL. I think he's a great pass catcher. He was in college. But we have never seen Lamar target the running back. I don't know why that's suddenly going to change this year when they bring in round one rookie wide receiver Rashad Bateman it doesn't really nothing's playing out where it's like oh look they're clearly trying to get Dobbins more involved in the pass game plus Gus Edwards got extended it just feels like what you're paying for is a hyper efficient committee running back who's not used in the passing game and now you're really threading the needle if Dobbins doesn't get me a rushing touchdown he's gonna get me what five six fantasy points I don't like that out of my running back I hate betting on touchdowns. I want to bet on a guy that whether or not he scores that week is is not going to be an eyesore in my fantasy lineup. And that's what I think J.K. Dobbins is going to be, unfortunately, where it's one of these guys where I just love the player, love the talent, hate the situation, hate last year's usage, and don't see any, any type of changes that they've made this offseason that makes me think it's going to be any different this year. And I'll tell you the news that broke today – the COVID positive test for Gus Edwards is only going to drive that up because people are going to be scared off of Gus Edwards and he's a much better value than J.K. Dobbins. You are are two for two, Josh. 
What about wide receiver? So wide receiver, I know this this one really stirs the pot with some people because of the consistency, but I don't think Mike Evans is a great pick at his ADP right now. And the reason is that... Because the pick is Antonio Brown. No, that's the pick. So we had eight games with Brown, Godwin, Evans overlapping. They all were within a couple percentage points of target share. Basically all the same role. And for some reason, like you said, Godwin's and Evan go very early. And then Antonio Brown, who had essentially the same role, even though he showed up mid-season and had no rapport built, mm-hmm. just had the same role as those guys. And you get him four to five rounds later. Mike Evans is no longer the target share hog that he used to be. I feel like people still imagine those 170, 180 target seasons with Winston. And they don't realize that he barely crested 100 targets last year, even playing the full season. And that he was kind of buoyed by touchdowns. It's like with Dobbins, where Dobbins had so many rushing touchdowns at the end of last year. Evans had a a couple games where it was like two for 10 and two touchdowns. Those kind of games can really boost up an overall fantasy points finish, make Evans look more attractive. I get it. He barely hit the thousand receiving yards threshold that he's hit every year, but I, I just don't see it. I don't like grabbing Evans when there's other guys who have a path to 12, 1300 receiving yards and 130, 140, 150 targets. And without any injuries, I don't see any chance for Evans to reach that. I'm doing my best ball exposure list now. Antonio Brown is way, way up there. Look, if you think Antonio Brown is going to self-destruct, and it's just going to be Evans and Godwin again, and you love the offense, I get it. But I, I will take the cheapest guy there every time. And Evans, no yards after catch. We, I get it. He's done it every year. And so the people who love him are, are dedicated. But definitely for me, it's Antonio Brown over him. And give me a tight end, sir. So I'm just going to throw out two names. One name I'm not going to say much. I just think I've, I've talked about it on a lot of podcasts. I've made Twitter threads about it. George Kittle's a bad value at his ADP. Take Darren Waller. The other guy I'll go more in depth on, I don't see it with Noah Fant. And it gets a lot oh, of people really, really fired up. Yeah. It, people always have that reaction. They go, oh, you, you I love Noah player. Fant. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you are a player profile. You should love Noah Fant. Have you seen his speed score? My issue with Noah Fant is that generally for, for me to want to draft a tight end as early as I would have to for Noah Fant. There has to be a realistic path in my mind for the monster difference-making upside. And I don't see how, yeah, he's probably going to be a top 10 tight end. That's most likely going to happen. But the the tight end 7, tight end 10, tight end 14, these are all within one, maybe two fantasy points a game. There's not much, it's not really, it's not doing it for me. Noah Fant is probably the third receiving option on his team behind Sutton and Judy. And the quarterback play is probably not going to be very good. And could be a slow-paced offense again. And probably going to be a run-first offense because they traded up to get Javante Williams in the second round and passed on a quarterback in the first round. If you don't take Justin Fields in the first round and then trade up in the second round for Javante Williams, that tells me we will be running the ball a lot. So all those signs point to a lower volume pass attack, which I don't think is going to be a very good one. So not a lot of touchdowns for the tight end to grab. And he's probably the third option there. So I think he's a pretty safe five to 650 receiving yards, 500, 650 receiving yards guy. But I just, I don't see the path to like 
850, 900, 1,000 receiving yards like I want out of a real difference-making tight end. So that's why for me, I'm just staying away. He's, he's probably going to be fine at his ADP, but that's not good enough for me with tight ends. Well, you talked about Javante Williams. All we need to do is send Melvin Gordon to the Rams. That that has Javante all set to move forward. It gives us hope for Mike Boone, who we all hang on and love in the fantasy community. And, of course, it kills Daryl Henderson, that prop that for me. So that that's really the solution to everything here. You do a great job player profile, the rankings. Uh, it's just fantastic. And you had a couple players that have been moved up now in Dynasty or down. They've had significant movement the last couple of weeks. Want to get your quick take on them. Talked about one, Miles Sanders. You also mentioned Evans. Another one I want to get into right now, Travis Etienne. You've been aboard Travis Etienne, sort of going against what we're hearing from Urban Meyer, but you moved him up here. He's got an hour going up. Talk about him. With Travis, it's just a bet on the history of round one running backs and his prospect profile. There's just, I, I, there's nothing for me to grab onto with this Urban Meyer coach speak. It's not like he ran bad offenses when he was the head coach. I feel like for some reason there's this, he now has this reputation in the fantasy football community that he's actively going to be a suboptimal offensive mind. We haven't seen that before. Just because he says that ETN's the, the third down back, do we really think that they took a running back in the first round so he could have a 25% snap share and only go out on third downs? I certainly don't think so. I'm betting that if you look at the past 10 years, running backs taken in the first round of the NFL draft have 18 combined targets plus rush attempts per game on average as a rookie. I think ETN's probably on the low end of that. He's probably not going to quite hit 18. That's not really his game. Najee Harris is probably going to be over that. But the idea is that these guys get fed. And that 18 number is skewed down because of the colossal bus of David Wilson and Rashad Penny. So even still, the average is 18. And I just don't see why Travis is the guy we're supposed to completely bet against with this trend. He has a phenomenal prospect profile. I know that the the Twitter film community is entirely hot cold on him, but a lot of the the big like NFL.com film grades, they, they, all these higher profile people all had, ETN is the highest film grade out of this class. It was pretty unanimous across a lot of these people. So the fact that random Twitter scouts watched some film and they said, oh, we don't think he has enough lateral agility. I mean, I'm happy that you think you found that. Good for you. But <laughs> look at the stats. He had a rushing touchdown once every 9.8 carries for his college career. This guy's a home run hitter. He has breakaway speed. He is elusive, clearly, with his production. And then the other thing that I love is everyone's been talking like, uh, I think it's because J.J. Zacharyson did an incredible podcast episode about mobile quarterbacks and how they don't target running backs as much, which is true. But the best of both worlds is happening for ETN. He has the mobile quarterback in Lawrence, freezing linebackers, opening up wide running lanes on the outside, and... It's a mobile quarterback who does target the running back. ETN had nearly 600 receiving yards last year. Shower narrative. Yeah, they played together for three years and won a national championship together. I don't see any reason why when the the, the game's on the line and the game's always on the line, why why is Lawrence ever going to say, can we bring in James for this play? I really want the undrafted guy that I've never played with before 
who's less talented, can, can he be behind me in the backfield? No, no. He's going to say, oh, the guy I played with for three years, we want a title together. He's a first-round pick because he's really good at football. That's the guy that I want out there at all times. So I'm just avoiding all these Urban Meyer narratives because they're just narratives. And what we can see is that round one running backs are super productive, and ETN looks like an incredible prospect. And Trevor Lawrence mobility has been almost forgotten about. Pat Fitzmorris came on and, and gave him as one of the guys that he loves to take, that he's taking in all his drafts. We've forgotten Trevor Lawrence's mobility. Just take a look online. Take a look at those runs. He has the experience with Etienne. We have to assume they're going to be passing a lot. Travis Etienne, somebody who's very undervalued, another ambiguous backfield. Unless you are a James Robinson truther, but you have a new guy in Urban Meyer, and you have a connection between the franchise quarterback and the running back. That is pretty strong. What's your favorite video game growing up? You're a stat nerd, so am I. What was your favorite video game? I loved Madden NFL 05. I played that game for like six straight years on Xbox. It had Ray Lewis on the cover, and I was all about speed. So I always loved being the Vikings. I couldn't care less about the Vikings in general, but it was the 04 season was where Culpepper led the NFL in passing yards. So then in Madden 05 that next year, he was a super legit quarterback. Mm -hmm. So the Culpepper-Randy Moss connection where Randy Moss had his 99 speed, that was just all day, baby. (laughs) I I could not get enough of Culpepper to Randy Moss. So one thing that I actually like about Madden and why I tell people that I think playing Madden year after year growing up helped me with football knowledge. As a a six, seven-year-old kid, I got it. You shouldn't be running up the middle. Why aren't you passing? Runs don't get you as many yards in Madden. Yeah. And it turns out in the NFL, they don't get you as many yards either. So if six, seven-year-old me and pretty much every other kid in America playing this game knows that you shouldn't be running up the middle, how how, how is this still such a common play call in the NFL? It, it's a total head scratcher. Kids know this. And Randy Moss with Culpepper, Speed 99, is reminiscent of Bo Jackson in Tecmo Bowl, where guys just bounce off of him as he's running down. That is the cheat code. That certainly is. We got a question from Buzz in Cleveland, and you talked about the the Browns before. He said, look, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, both super talented running backs, but what's the fantasy value? Chubb doesn't catch passes and he's going very early. Hunt is limited by his upside. He's in the dead zone there with Chubb's presence. What does Josh feel about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in redraft leagues? So I'm actually really below consensus on both these guys. It's kind of like the Baker Mayfield thing. I just, I don't quite get it with Cleveland. The way that you have fantasy point bonanzas is through prolific passing attacks. There's just not that many guys that can be fantasy relevant on these run heavy teams. It's like, think about the Ravens the past couple of years. It was, you wanted Lamar. And then the only other actual legitimate fantasy contributor was Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good offense. They were the highest scoring offense two years ago. But think about the passing offenses that are prolific and all the guys in fantasy you want. Think about the Chiefs. You wanted Mahomes. You wanted Tyreek Hill. You wanted Travis Kelsey. The Bills last year. You wanted Allen. You wanted Beasley. You wanted Diggs. There's just... There's more than two fantasy relevant. There's sometimes three, four, five guys that you're going to want from these prolific passing attacks. The rushing attacks, just there's just not enough fantasy points there. With Chubb, he looks like the, the classic guy that's just going to be running the ball for 1,400 yards, get you very little in the receiving game, and unless he has the touchdowns, you look and go, oh, that's 
wow, he's the RB14 on the year. The reason that he did so well last year was his touchdowns. He was one of the most efficient touchdown scorers of the past half decade. I don't think that's going to happen again this year. They also had by far the best offensive line in the sport last year. That's probably not going to happen this year. It's not like they're going to be bad, but it's really hard to just be such a ridiculous outlier in that area back-to-back years. Then with Kareem Hunt, there's this kind of narrative, because it's just a narrative, that he's this ridiculous pass catcher. Chubb missed four games last year. Hunt was constantly on the field. He didn't even have 40 receptions last year. Kareem Hunt had 38 catches. That's he was, I think he was 16th in the NFL among running backs and catches. That I don't why are we drafting Kareem Hunt in the sixth round? Just because he ran really pure and had five receiving touchdowns last year? That's not a thing that happens back-to-back seasons with running backs. These both look like touchdown regression monsters. Or when you actually look at the underlying per game usage, neither lives up to their ADP and that Chubb looks like more of a late second round pick. Hunt looks like more of an eighth or ninth round pick, not the sixth round pick that he currently is. So it's an, it's unfortunate. I think the Browns are going to be a fun team. I think they're going to be a good team, but in terms of fantasy football, it's a team that I want very little to do with this year. Zero exposure in best ball to Kareem Hunt for me. Absolutely yeah. zero. I have very one, little with- one share. Yep. One time he just slipped, not at his ADP. And very little of Nick Chubb as well. Got a great question from Pete Aquaviva, at PD Aquaviva on Twitter. He said, guys, I hear lots of arguments why someone likes players. I'd be curious for Josh to take a guy that he really likes and explain, if I'm wrong, here's why I would be wrong. Who do you got? So it's a little painful to do this, but I'm not going to say a single good thing about him for this. DeAndre Swift, here is how he can fail. If you want to know how he can succeed, I have tons of Twitter posts. I have podcasts where I talk about him, but... Let's just talk about how DeAndre Swift can fail at his current ADP. He's on a bad offense. There's not going to be a lot of touchdowns to go around, so it's unlikely that he gets kind of bailed out by, oh, wow, somehow he scored a ton of touchdowns. Because last year he had a lot of touchdowns. I think he had 10 touchdowns as kind of a part-time player. Stafford's gone, though. This is going to be a bad offense. So the touchdowns will most likely not be there for Swift this year. Jamal Williams is brought in. And unlike Adrian Peterson, Jamal Williams is a competent pass catcher. He's a good pass blocker. He's a good pass catcher. He's an A-back, Josh. Yeah, he's an A-back, apparently. (laughs) And he was was kind of annoying with Aaron Jones, as all the Aaron Jones owners know. Yeah, with Jones specifically, it didn't necessarily limit him in fantasy. But the the difference between Jones and Swift is that the, the Packers were always this elite offense. So Jones was always scoring a lot of touchdowns. Jamal Williams is going to take some of this pass-catching work from Swift. And that starts to get worrisome when how much rushing work is he going to take? The Lions have made a ton of analytics hires. One little whisper from the analytics department, they say, hey, we're not going to be competitive this year. Why are we going to run our prized all-purpose talent, DeAndre Swift, into the ground this season? Mm-hmm. What, what incentive do we have to just torch this guy on the ground and then find out that he's no longer himself in year three and year four when we actually want to be competitive. Another thing that's going in Swift's favor is, oh, this great offensive line. You know what? We're not very good at predicting offensive line. Yes, we might think that on paper, this is a great O-line. They took Panay Suel. That's amazing. But at the end of the day, we're not always that good at predicting offensive lines. 
each year there's teams where we think, oh, it's going to be such a rock solid one and it's not and vice versa. So we could be looking at Swift as a committee back who's not getting as many targets as we want, doesn't get the touchdowns, is on a team that just has a middling offensive line and the offense just isn't moving anywhere and they're not sustaining drives. So even if Swift has a decent target share, there's just not enough plays to go around because that's a bad defense and a team that is going to be in the bottom five of the league in average plays per drive. So that's the, it's a little painful, but there's the case. If I'm wrong on DeAndre Swift, that's what happens. The beauty of the objectivity. I love it. Mr. Larkey, you go on fear factor. You're trying to win. You're a very competitive guy. What's the one thing they say, you need you to do this, and you go, you know, I'm not so sure I can do this. So I know there was one where they, they simulated the guy drowning. I can't do that. <laughs> I like the, the, the tarantulas on the face. I mean, do I want to do that? No, but that doesn't – for some reason, that just – it doesn't get me that scared. I mean – in, unless they, unless they're like, this is a super poisonous spider that's probably going to bite you, then obviously <laughs> I'm going to be terrified. But if they're just like, oh, this thing's really creepy looking, sure, it can it can run across my face or whatever. I, I don't care that much. But the the simulating drowning, there there are a few feelings more scary to me than when I try and dive down in the water and I'm like, oh, let me just. Let me just keep going in this pool or something. I bet I can get to the other side. And when you realize yeah. that you can't do it, mm-hmm. the, the level of panic that sets in for me, it's it's top notch. So I don't remember what they did, but I know they've done this drowning simulations. I don't know if it was the waterboarding or some other test. I, I don't want anything to do with that. That's a great one. Neil Dutton had one. He said he has weak ankles. He doesn't want to be jumping over buildings, any sort of jumping whatsoever. Uh, but the but the drowning one, very good as well. Sir, redraft lightning round. I'm going to give you two players in seasonal leagues, and I will give you their ADP. Tell me which one you prefer at the ADP. I know you're a fan of Jalen Hurts, QB8, or Daniel Jones, now QB23. It's close. I actually like both these guys. I'm going to go Jalen Hurts. I know, it, yeah, there's all these issues of what could happen, but he legitimately has the QB1 or the QB2 in fantasy upside at his price, and you you just have to pull the trigger on him at an above-average rate, even still. Running back, Najee Harris, running back 13, or Chris Carson, running back 17? I got to go Najee Harris. I, he looks like he's going to get an automatic 325 or more touches with some decent pass game involvement. He was good at that in college. I think he's going to be good at that in the NFL. Uh, Chris Carson, yeah, it was great that he had more receiving work last year, but I just don't think the the volume of touches is going to be there to justify waiting for Carson, where Carson's still expensive. Najee Harris just looks like the ultimate grinder who's going to get so many touches that you, you blink and he's just leading the NFL in touches or second... I think I have him projected second or third in the NFL in touches for a running back. And I feel pretty confident about that. Najee Harris did an article for him destined for the volume. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver. I'm getting a little concerned about this first guy, Josh. Amari Cooper, wide receiver 13, or T. Higgins, wide receiver 24. I still like Cooper at his ADP. I think he's fine at his ADP still. Okay. Maybe in a couple of weeks, if he's not doing anything and he's not on the field, I'll worry more. But I mean, I think I think T. Higgins is just such a smash at wide receiver twenty-four. I understand Jamar Chase is there. Could Jamar Chase have more targets than T. Higgins? I mean, maybe, probably. Who knows? It could happen. 
Sure, Tyler Boyd could even have more targets. T. Higgins could be the third most targets on the team and still pay off at that ADP. There's no tight end of consequence. Dreadful defense. Zach Taylor loves to pass the ball, even in game-neutral situations. It's hard to see T. Higgins not getting 125, 130, 140 targets, no matter how the pecking order shakes out there. And tight end, Logan Thomas, tight end 10, or Anthony Ferkser, tight end 20. We're going to end on the expensive guy. I'm going Logan Thomas. He it just it feels kind of like the Darren Waller situation from a year ago where Darren Waller showed that he is a pretty elite receiving weapon at the tight end position. And people were like, oh, let me see another year. We'll just keep letting him go in the sixth round of drafts. And then what did Waller do? He just smashed and improved upon the year before. And that's what a lot of these convert to tight ends do is that they just keep getting better the next couple of years once they become a full-time starter. I don't see any reasoning that Logan Thomas will not be better than last year at playing tight end. Will he maybe have slightly fewer targets because Samuel is now there and they might expand Gibson's role? Sure, that could happen. But I mean, right now Samuel's not practicing. And I just think in general, Logan Thomas could have a big efficiency boost because I do think he's a good tight end and was hamstrung by bad QB play. So I'm just not ready to fade the guy that showed he can be an actual difference maker at the tight end position last year and now got a quarterback upgrade this year. I'm not going to do that. Do you have a later round, round three or later rookie pick that you think can have a big impact this year? I'm going to be so cliche and just say Trey Sermon because I really think that he can have a big impact. I understand that I'm, I'm worshiping the – I know uh, Matt Kelly jokes about it. He goes, Shana, Shana, and like all the people yeah. pounding the table and worshiping the coach, but – if we just look at the stats, the past couple seasons, San Francisco running backs have been really efficient. If you cobble together and, average, and total up their fantasy points, they're a top five running back unit the past couple seasons. And they traded up for Trey Sermon. They clearly like the guy. There's no other high draft capital running backs that he's competing with. They showed some type of investment in doing that. And if these San Francisco running backs have already been really efficient playing with non-mobile quarterbacks, imagine Trey Lance and Trey Sermon in the backfield together. The efficiency could be bonkers where you have the ultra-mobile quarterback in the, the zone-blocking scheme that Sermon was used to in college. I don't love the player. I don't love his prospect profile, but it is truly just the perfect situation, and he was a trade-up running back. So at, at his ADP right now, I'm, I'm still grabbing him. I actually think he's better than Javante Williams currently in many ways because mm-hmm. I think Trey Sermon has an easier path to lead that backfield and touches by a decent margin. Melvin Gordon's actually still an okay football player. Yeah, he could get cut or traded, but until that happens, I see week one, drive one of the NFL season, Melvin Gordon taking those snaps. Still. I think Javante will be better than him this year. But I still see the initial drive, it's Melvin Gordon. Week one for the Niners, I can totally see Trey Sermon being the guy that's out there from snap one making his presence felt. So that's why I like Trey Sermon for this year. Very fair. Sir, this has been an amazing hour. It flew by. Last question, then we'll get get you out of here. I need the prediction, sir. I need the bold one. I need the one that you're saying over again in your head that you think some people may think is crazy. 
but you think is okay. What's the Josh Larkey bull prediction for this fantasy season? So there's been a lot of research. We all know this by now. The quarterback on their rookie deal, is, when they're good, is just such a ridiculous cheat code when the best player, the most important player on your team is making one-fifth, one-sixth, one-seventh of what they're worth on the open market in their second contract. And there's one team out there who has this, the elite, young, inexpensive quarterback with great weapons on offense, a remade offensive line with new free agent acquisitions. This is going to be a really efficient, really good-looking offense. And then the defense has playmaker after playmaker after playmaker. And people don't quite realize how good this unit should be. And I believe that this team is a Super Bowl contender. And you might say, who is this team? I'm talking about Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. This is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I believe the the Chargers are primed to win the Super Bowl this year. The Chargers, the Super Bowl champions of this year. I love it, man. I love it. Folks, Josh Larkey, Director of Analytics, Roto Underworld, Player Profiler, Breakout Finder, Code Breaker Podcast is fantastic. One of the young phenoms in the fantasy football industry. Love working with him. Love talking to him. Gave us a ton of insight. Dynasty, best ball redraft. Follow him on Twitter at tweets. Josh, we'll be talking soon, my friend, but thank you so much. A great hour of talk with you. Thanks for having me on. This was good. Nice to get a little exposure to some of the Rotoviz folks out there. I know there's a lot of mutual respect between our sites, so it's cool to be able to, to hop on this and participate. So thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.